This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a crowd podcast. You barely notice the changes when you first see them. It's all subtle hints, clues that only make sense when you piece them back together later. That famous face, it started to crack. There are lines around the mouth, wrinkles across the forehead, the skin sinking beneath the chin, and the cheeks deflated. But it's the eyes you notice most. They're not glimmering with mischief anymore. There's something else there now, something darker, something you're not supposed to see. With most people, you wouldn't even think twice, but this is a face everyone knows, a face that always looks good. It's the face of Rock Hudson, the biggest leading man of them all. He's just landed a cameo role on Dynasty, the hottest show on the planet. It's two eras coming together, Old-school charm versus new-school greed. The writers have had to keep the plot under lock and key because everyone's so desperate to see this. But now, there's just... disappointment. Because it's not rock. At least, not the rock everyone knows. So people start to ask questions. What's up with rock? They start writing into newspapers, asking what's going on. When rock's cornered, he tells a reporter he's been on a weight-loss kick tells another he's got the flu. He's good at telling lies. You'll see that. But with each episode, he gets a little older, a little weaker. The old image starts to fall away, piece by piece by piece. Then there's a reunion on TV with Doris Day, Rock's old leading lady. When they starred together back in the glory days, they were the couple everyone wanted to be. The pretty, smiley blonde and the debonair seducer. But now Rock looks terrible. Those cracks have widened into canyons. The eyes have sunk back into his head. His skin has turned from brown to grey. He's three years younger than Doris Day, but looks old enough to be a dad. Now the speculation runs wild. This isn't about a flu or a weight loss kick. People start talking about diseases the big ones, the ones you don't come back from. But no one's prepared for what they're about to hear, about the little virus with the big name. Inside Rock, destroying his immune system, eating away his strength, his spirit. And no one's prepared for what this virus will reveal, about all the things Rock's done, about the people he's done them with. That guy they saw on screen, the one they all fell for, 
that was just an act. A character invented for their pleasure, for their kicks. They saw rock play cowboys, lovers, fighters, heroes, always so wholesome, always beating the bad guys and always getting the girl. But his greatest role of all, that's been Rock Hudson all along. It's the mid-50s, Hollywood's golden age, a time of dreamboats and petticoats, epic tales and beautiful people. And no one's more beautiful than Rock Hudson. He's six foot four, rippling with muscle, the Baron of Beefcake, that's what the movie hype merchants call him. But he's soft and gentle too, the kind of guy who escorts girls to dances and buys them milkshakes down at the diner. America's already heard the story. They've seen Rock in the magazines fixing cars, painting his house, so strong, so manly. They've seen him with Hollywood's young actresses around town, until he married the girl of his dreams, that is. They've even heard how he got his big break. He was out delivering mail in LA one sunny morning when this big shot studio boss spotted him through the window. Great story, isn't it? The classic American tale with a Tinseltown twist. And Rock's getting bigger, getting better. He's just starred in Magnificent Obsession, a film about a spoiled kid transformed into the perfect gentleman. It gets rave reviews, gets people talking him up as the next big thing. And now he's got the project that will take him to the top. It's called Giant, and it lives up to its name. It runs for three and a half hours, stretches across millions of acres. It's a story about Texas, about the old and the new, the end of the ranches and the dawn of the oil wells. Rock's the lead. He's playing a suave Southern gentleman, all courage and quiet dignity. Elizabeth Taylor's his love interest, James Dean's his arch rival. This is big. Rock's been grafting away for years, hammering out the B-movies, breaking himself in the gym, putting in 15-hour days, all for this. It's the film that will make or break his career, and he crushes it. He doesn't try to steal the show. He just lets his presence fill the screen. He doesn't lunge for the camera. He lets the camera come to him, melt over him, see what it wants to see. When he's on screen with Elizabeth Taylor, they fizz and crackle with sexual energy. She's the damsel in distress. He's the knight in shining armor. And when he's with James Dean, there's tension thick in the dusty Texan air. Dean dies before the final rap, killed in a car crash. But the release goes ahead and it turns Rock into the biggest star in the world. He starts hoovering up awards, gets his own star on the Walk of Fame. He plays war heroes, jungle explorers, men who triumph against all the odds. But then he's paired with Doris Day, and he becomes the master of sexy comedy, all suave one-liners and sly smiles down the barrel. Everyone's hooked. Rock's mobbed when he goes to Europe. He wins awards as far away as the Faroe Islands. But it's America that loves him most of all. The country of power and progress that conquered the Wild West and is going to conquer the moon. The country that's invented the atom bomb and is about to invent the teenager. Rock's one of them. He's all of them. 
Or at least, that's what they think. You see, they don't know about the project, the work that's been done to mould Rock into their ideal. That story about how he was discovered? That's total bullshit. His studio just made it up for a cheap headline. Rock didn't get his break from a Hollywood big shot. He got it from a guy called Henry Wilson. He's the other guy in Rock's story, the guy they always airbrush out. Wilson doesn't belong in Hollywood. He's a grubby little man with no chin and greasy hair. But he knows how to create beautiful men and turn them into stars. He takes ordinary guys and gives them new names, new personalities that everyone will love. And with Rock, Wilson's built everything. The walk, the talk. He even created the name. Rock for Gibraltar. Hudson for the river. A name you can't break into. And the meeting with Wilson? It didn't happen when Rock was out delivering mail. It happened at a party. A party for men. Only men. A party thrown by the guy Rick was sleeping with at the time. This is Rock's secret life. It's not fancy restaurants and red carpet dates. It's meetings late at night in parks and back alleys. Bars that you won't find on any Hollywood tour. Parties in big old houses full of secret rooms for secret encounters. The marriage? Rock only did it because some gossip rag threatened to reveal the truth. Said it had photos from an old flame. Photos that would destroy everything. Rock got away with that one. Just about. Wilson gave the magazine some dirt on a couple of his other stars, sacrificed their careers so Rocks could live. Well, that fake marriage is on the fast track to divorce. Rocks got to find a new plan, some way to keep his secret. With each passing day, the stakes are getting higher. Because America's got secrets too. Behind those picket fences and perfect smiles, there's tension and hatred. There's a new bogeyman now, the Soviet Union. Secret agents, spies lurking in dark corners. And now a bunch of right-wing politicians are claiming that gay people are in on the plot, sleeping their way into government, trying to bring down the state. They call it the Lavender Scare, but it's a witch hunt and everyone's in on it. They've always been treated as weirdos, the people everyone else pretends don't exist. And now, they're being hunted. We'll be back after this quick break. Hello, I'm Sam Walker. I've spent the last few months talking to this guy. I'm a hunter. It's what I do. He's called KC. Our rules of engagement are pretty simple. If we have to pull a trigger on one person, they're all going to go. He's an American vigilante. And there is one of the biggest men I've ever seen. And he's got a knife in his hand. He rescues kidnapped children. There's no feeling in the world like putting a child back in the arms of its parents. By any means necessary. Well, it's ugly. You want me to make sure I don't hurt anybody? He scares me. And he kind of looked at me, and I said, I swear to God, I said, if you do anything other than what I told you to do, I said, I'm going to kill you right here. And he might scare you. About got tears in your eyes right now just thinking about that, don't you? Download the podcast, American Vigilante. Download American Vigilante. Out now. Now. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do you live a secret life when you're the most famous person in the world? Rock tries everything. Stops doing interviews. Stops going to premieres. He buys a big old house in the mountains over LA. He calls it the castle, but really, it's a bunker. It's got cliffs on three sides, so no one can peer in. Everyone who steps inside knows the score, the parties he throws for young guys, the statues of naked boys. When he meets guys, they can't take photos of him, can't even tell their friends about him. He makes them leave the castle at 6am and tells them not to start their engines just to let their cars drift down the road until they're in the clear. If they want to go on dates, venues have to be checked. Women have to be invited. Can't have too many boys. That's what Rock always says. And when they go to the cinema, it's a military operation. First, Rock rings up the cinema ask them to open the exit and leave two seats by the door. He and his fellow rush in just as the film's starting when the lights are going down. Then they run out as the credits start to roll. He's the biggest movie star on the planet and he can't even enter the theatre by the front door. It's exhausting and it's not enough. Because the whole point of Rock Hudson is that he's huge. He's not built to scurry from one shadow to the next. Everyone recognizes him, and everyone wants a piece of him. First, there are the blackmail attempts. When his marriage collapses, his wife hires a private detective, secretly records him fessing up about other guys. His lovers start pulling the same trick. Guys threaten to rat him out for a wad of cash or a slot in one of his films. He gets so paranoid that he starts checking for bugs when he stays in hotel rooms. And then it gets worse. The FBI are prying into Hollywood's secret underworld. They're on a mission to find those deviants who want to bring America down. So they start busting parties, spying on the people who are on the wrong side. They get a tip off about Rock. So they go and interview him on set ask him why his marriage collapsed, grill him about what he does in private. The feds can't pin anything on Rock, but it's a warning. You better not slip up, buddy, because there's always someone watching. No wonder he starts drinking a bottle of scotch a day, smokes three packets of cigarettes, throws gin down his neck. No wonder he becomes bitter, starts saying he wishes everyone was dead. No wonder he can't keep a boyfriend, has to go to dodgier places to meet guys, take more risks. Eventually, he has a heart attack. The only surprise is that it's taken so long. By the time it comes, the Hollywood bosses have stopped calling. The screaming fans have found new heartthrobs. The psychiatrists have new theories. The FBI have new targets. Henry Wilson, the guy who gave Rock his break, the guy who created all this, he's dead, killed by his own demons. 
Others would stop running here. They'd come clean, drop the mask, let themselves be free. But not Rock. He's in too deep. Trapped in a series that can't be cancelled. A character that can never be written off. Rock won't reveal his secret. Not now. Not ever. Not unless something forces it out of him. It's mysterious, it's deadly, and it's baffling medical science. Acquired immune No one knows about AIDS at first. That's what makes it so terrifying. No one knows how it got here. No one knows what causes it. No one knows if it'll ever be cured. The only thing people know is who gets it and what they do to get it. Gay cancer, that's what some call it. Others prefer gay plague. It's more religious, more vengeful. A plague on the people no one wants to see. The people who hang around in seedy saunas leave their numbers in telephone boxes. The people who are exposing America's dirty secrets. AIDS starts small, but it's hungry. It starts eating into society, outing respectable people. All it needs now is a face, a face it can scar a face it can reveal. Rock Hudson's with his secretary when they notice it. The pair have been celebrating. Rock's just been to the White House for dinner with the president. It's one of the biggest honors of his life, a reward for all he's worked for. But when they look at the photos, there's this thing on Rock's neck. It's not a pimple, too big for that. So what is it? Rock's secretary begs him to go to the doctor. It'll be nothing, of course, but just to be sure. It's not nothing. It's a death sentence. In fact, it's two death sentences at once. Because this won't just destroy Rock, it'll destroy his character too. He can't run this time. The secret's gonna break out on his face, in his eyes, on his arms and legs. And when it gets out, people won't think he's a force of nature anymore. They'll think he's a freak. Rock cries for a week. How could he be so twisted, so filthy? He says he's committed a crime, wishes he had another heart attack to spare him from this. Why me? That's what he keeps asking. But then he puts the mask back on. He can do this. That's what he tells himself. He writes to his secret lovers to warn them, but he doesn't tell them who's writing. He agrees to do Dynasty, but he doesn't tell the producers what's happened to him. There's one scene where he has to kiss his co-star, Linda Evans. It's supposed to be passionate, the snog everyone's been waiting for. Rock's in agony for weeks, but eventually he does it. Better that than tell the bosses why he can't. Even now he's fighting to keep the secret alive, trying to find some way to keep his character going But this disease doesn't care what secrets you're holding. It starts to change him, covers him in boils, pushes his eyes into his skull, leaves him so thin you can see the bones through his skin. His front teeth start to come loose because his body can't fight the infection in his mouth. He keeps scratching, trying to catch the thing that's crawling around inside him, but it's too quick. Just a few days after that appearance with Doris Day, the one that leaves the world in shock. He flies to Paris for an experimental treatment. It's his last chance, his last throw of the dice. 
but he collapses before he even reaches the hospital. His agent tells the world it's cancer, but someone's got the real story. Just what is wrong with Rock Hudson? Tonight, the 59-year-old actor remains in a Paris hospital under... A journalist's got hold of Rock's medical records. They're ready to print. There's nowhere to run anymore. And there's no Henry Wilson to plan the getaway. Rock's PR manager asks if she can reveal the truth. Throw it to the dogs, he says. Rock's carried on a stretcher when he gets off the plane home. But really, it might as well be a coffin. By now, he's down to nine stone. He's lost nearly half his body weight. He can't eat without throwing up. And he's so weak, he can barely get out of bed. This man, who was once so strong, so fearless, he's a prisoner in his own body. Thankfully, the end comes quickly. Rock just slips away one morning while he's watching TV. No one else is in the room, apart from his nurse. But there are other people circling, people who've been waiting. The media goes into a frenzy. Talking heads start coming out of the woodwork. One of his relatives says they thought Rock was a nice guy before they heard about his disease. What families are for, right? Then his former lovers start squabbling over his fortune. Rock didn't even tell his last boyfriend he had AIDS. And now this guy starts raising hell. He sues the estate, claiming Rock put his life at risk. All sorts of stuff starts to emerge about how Rock used prostitutes, how this guy slept round for money, how he threatened to blackmail Rock if he kicked him out. This is everything Rock wanted to avoid. Everything he devoted his life to avoiding. But there's some good to come out of this mess too. America finally wakes up to the AIDS epidemic. If Rock Hudson can get it, anyone can get it. The government starts putting money into research. Elizabeth Taylor starts a foundation to raise awareness, move the needle. And the scientists go into overdrive, working on treatments, treatments that will slow this disease down, give sufferers a chance to live. Within a couple of years, the first antiretroviral therapies will arrive in American hospitals. They'll give people the chance to live entire lives with AIDS. If only Rock had stayed around long enough, he might have lived for years, even decades more. He'd have had a new role, a pioneer, a trailblazer. He might have been the first Hollywood superstar to come out. Maybe he'd have lived to see homosexuality become legal across America to see men marry other men and be loved for it. To see openly gay actors like Matt Bomer and Neil Patrick Harris become Hollywood A-listers, super hunks, just like he was. That's a real achievement, a real story that Rock starred in. But when you're living someone else's life, you don't get to choose your ending. It's just you playing a role from the first day to the last. This episode of Death of a Film Star was written by Gareth Platt and performed by me, Emma Clark. For research, we used the archives of the New York Times, the LA Times, the Associated Press, ABC and USA Today. We also watched the movie Giant, spoke to the authors Robert Hoffler and Douglas Charles, and read All That Heaven Allows by Mark Griffin and Rock Hudson, His Story by Rock Hudson and Sarah Davidson. 
The music we used is from our partners BMG Production Music. This episode was edited by Crawford Blair. If you want to listen to another episode, try our one about Rock's movie rival, James Dean. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, Next Best Picture. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com.